0: hauling just look at the load i'm hauling hard work i hit it harder ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer sun up to sundown, backing up traffic all the way to town camo hat and a farmer's town
1: Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by
2: Fastline Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Well welcome to another episode of Fast Line Fast Track. It's great to have y'all with us. On this episode, we'll talk combines with the folks from KLOSS and from all ag parts. We'll have the second part of the chat with U.S. Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue and SVG Ventures John Hartnett, and we'll hear from incredible country recording artist Will Bannister. You won't want to miss a moment of this jam-packed episode. Let's go! Well, first up this week on the program, this is the time of year when many manufacturers start rolling out new combines, and it's a big week for Kloss, which introduced the Lexion 6000 Series Straw Walker Combines. Here with me to talk about them is Blake McCullough, the product manager for combines for Kloss of America. And Blake, welcome into Fastline Fast Track.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me today.
2: So with the Lexion 6000 Series Straw Walker Combines, Kloss has created machines that were designed with efficiency, precision, and convenience in mind, and are tailored to excel with crops such as wheat, canola, and grass seed. So I understand these new combines have increased capacity and up to 25% more throughput?
3: Absolutely. So yeah, with our our new 6000 series combines, we have two models, the 6900 and the 6800. These two combines are going to be replacing our former 670 model that we had um, when we had uh, our 700 series combines and 600 series combines previously. So this is bringing our straw walkers up to date with our hybrid machines that were released last year. Um, a lot of big changes happening with this machine to get that extra throughput. As you mentioned, 25% more above our previous straw walker machine. So really to get that, we had to make a lot of major changes. And we could say that a lot more changes had to happen on this machine than our hybrid machines to get that. Um, some of the things that we had to do or that we did do was increase the threshing cylinder size from 24 inches to 30 inches to give us a lot more threshing capacity to handle more crops. Um, behind that, we've added a separator drum, which gives us active separation action and a straw walker combine, something that we didn't have before. Um, the limiting factor in a straw walker combine has traditionally been the walkers. Um, as they, the walkers run out of length, you run out of separation action. So to combat that in this conventional machine, we added in a separator drum that's 24 inches diameter to give us some active separation action to help push this machine further than our previous models could.
2: Well, let's talk a bit about the APS Sinflow Walker Threshing and Separation System for a bit, if we could. It's touted as having the straightest crop flow in the industry. And these combines were also designed with the market's only accelerator drum for constant crop acceleration, as well as efficient grain separation and gentle straw handling.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And that's where we get a lot of our efficiency and productivity. And this goes across all of our products, whether it's a combine forward harvester, anything with crop flow in it, um, the thing that takes the most horsepower and is the hardest on any crop is the change in crop speed or change in crop direction. So we wanna make sure we keep those to a minimal. And how we do those is by having an accelerator drum in front of our threshing cylinder. So rather than coming from a a feeder house straight into a threshing cylinder and having a really abrupt change in speed, we slowly accelerate it with what we call our APS cylinder, which is accelerator pre-separation. We actually accelerate the crop Intermediately between those threshing cylinder and the feeder house We separate out separate out any loose grain through the grates below that on the cleaning shoe So it's not getting over threshed and spread it out the full width of the threshing cylinder and then transport it into it So make sure we get a very slow Change in crop speed and then we even out that crop flow to make sure it's not doubled up or uneven behind that We keep a very straight crop flow. So rather than going Up and over any cylinders, like some of our competitors may do, we stay very shallow and stay below the cylinders to make sure that crop flow is not having a lot of changes in direction, which helps with our efficiency and helps with our fuel efficiency as well.
2: So another of the features is the industry's largest grain tank, which I know is important when you're trying to harvest as much as you can and minimize stoppage, and also the fastest unloading speeds.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So when we talk about efficiency and we talk about um, capacity of a combine, all that's great but you're killing any kind of capacity or throughput advantage you get if you have to stop all the time to, to unload or waiting on a grain cart. So with these new combines and the same thing in our hybrids, we wanted to make sure that we matched a grain handling system with the increased throughput of these machines. So as you said, we're going to the biggest grain tanks in the industry um, for those class sizes where we have 510 on our 8,000 series combines on these new 6000 series combines we can get up to 425 um, bushel grain tank and the clean grain elevator and the returns elevator are going to match that as well so we increase capacity of the returns we increase capacity to clean grain elevator to make sure we can keep up with the new processor and then you combine that all with uh, the unload auger up to 5.1 bushels per second unload we can get up to about 20 percent less unloads um, than we previously had against our competition in the field to make sure we're always trying to keep focused on the crop that's coming in the, in the machine rather than the crop that's going out of it because we can do it a lot quicker.
2: Well, a lot of these changes were based on trying to achieve maximum efficiency. And one of the things Kloss has done here with these combines is to achieve the industry's fastest transport speed at 25 miles per hour. And that not only gets you through the field faster, but also gets you to the next field faster, which is important when time is of the essence
3: absolutely. Harvest windows aren't getting any wider. So any way we can get you faster in the field and in between the fields, we definitely want to take advantage of that.
2: One other feature that farmers likely will find appealing is the Lexion 6000 series in-cab controls. And Blake, it seems like Kloss has worked really hard to put together in-cab controls and on-the-fly adjustments that seem pretty intuitive.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So one of the big things and big pushes with with this combine and, and actually the whole industry as a whole is try to get more in-cab conveniences to make sure that we're keeping the operator in the seat where they're most effective. Um, so these combines um, and any other combine we have is no different. We wanna make sure that going between crops is as quick and as painless as possible um, to make sure we can stay in the field and stay harvesting. So with these new combines 6,000 series and last year with the seven and 8,000 series, um, we're able to go from high to low speed on our threshing cylinders from the cab with a push of a button. We're actually able to change the configuration of our threshing area and flip in a piece um, on the fly as we're going through the field that intensifies the threshing action on the cylinder. So it actually increases the, the slope between the pre separation and the threshing cylinder to get more wrap on that threshing cylinder as you fly, go through the field. And so you can really intensify and try different things that you go through the field um, to make sure we're doing the best job possible. And on top of that, um, beyond that, we have our CMOS auto systems that have been in the market since 2013, 2014, um, that actually control all the components within the machine that affect the, the crop flow and say the harvesting functions of the machine and actually optimize those based on the inputs that those sensors are sensing. So we're optimizing threshing area, separation area in the case of the hybrid and cleaning area all at one time as it goes through the field continuously in a um, so that really adds to your efficiency to make sure you're maximizing the capacity of that machine at all times.
2: So keeping these combines well maintained is key to maximizing their efficiency and Claas has designed them to make it nearly effortless to keep them maintained and running at peak performance.
3: Absolutely. So that's a, that's a big thing is we can make a machine that's as efficient as, and has all the capacity in the world and is able to harvest all these acres in a small amount of time. But if it's not running, you're not taking advantage of that. So. With these new machines um, and with any machine we make we want to make sure it's as reliable as possible um, and we can do that by building a you know a very high quality product but also taking out some of the let's say the operator air sections of it so we have an auto lube system or central lubrication system that can be put on any of our machines and that's going to make sure that we're lubing all the research on the machine up to about 74 of them as it's going through the field why components are moving while it's warm, while the grease is warm, make sure you're getting the right amount of grease to the right bearings at all times. So that really adds to the longevity of these machines by doing things like that.
2: And also the dynamic cooling system, I understand, is an industry leader as well.
3: Yep. So our dynamic cooling system is something that really adds to the the fuel efficiency of the machine um, and also keeps it very clean. So where traditional cooling packages sit on the side of the machine where it's able to bring in um, dirty air that's brought that's getting kicked up by the tires and whatnot. We've actually flipped our cooling system and set it horizontally on top of the machine. We did this in 2014, and so it's pulling air where it's coolest and cleanest in the field, which is on top of the combine, not on the side. So we're getting cool and clean air through the air cleaners and actually taking it through an oversized um, rotating screen that's 63 inches wide and then pushing that air through the coolers and then into the engine compartment, creating turbulence within it to make sure it stays cool and clean. And then the rest of that air is going to escape down the side panels to make sure we're not getting dust built up under there as well. So that's going to help with your efficiency because it's a variable speed fan. So it's only going to run as fast as it needs to to keep it cool. Um, but also because it have that pressure air in there, you're keeping all the dust and light dust and debris off the machine. So when you have to blow it off at the end of the day, um, you don't have all that debris um, around the machine. So really cutting down on the maintenance time, daily maintenance time as well.
2: Well, if listeners want to know more about the Lexion 6000 Series Straw Walker Combines, where can they go?
3: Um, So, of course, you can always go to your local dealer um, or you can go to cloths.com.
2: All right. Well, I tell you what, we appreciate you taking the time to uh, break all this stuff down for us, Blake, and uh, ma- make sure you do uh, g- get over and check those things out for yourself. And thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track. Yeah, appreciate it for you
3: having me on. It was a joy.
2: Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, we want to welcome back to the program Terry Burkhart with All States Ag Parts, which not only is the largest supplier of used, new, and remanufactured tractor and combine parts in North America. But also supplies parts for skid steers, planters, drills, hay balers, swathers, construction equipment, and other ag equipment. And Terry, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Wow, good to be back. Hey, Allstate's Ag Parts has 15 locations nationwide, including 11 salvage yards two rebuild facilities and a 217,000 square foot flagship location in Lake Mills, Iowa, which includes a centralized distribution center that has every kind of farm equipment replacement part you can think of, and now also stocks industrial and construction parts. Terry?
0: Yeah, we recently uh, purchased H&R Construction. Parts, uh, headquartered out of Buffalo, New York. Um, they're recognized as one of the leaders in construction and industrial parts. Um, we're excited to have them on board and look forward to um, expanding that product selection um, for all state ag parts into more and more construction uh, parts. And uh, it's going to be a good thing for for both companies.
2: So you guys are based in Iowa. Last time we were talking uh, you had uh, made an acquisition out in uh, uh, Kern County, California, and now you're up in Buffalo, New York. You guys really have a uh, nationwide footprint here.
3: Yeah,
0: we do, and we've also got uh, one location in Canada up in St. Mary's, which is just uh, about an hour northeast of Toronto.
2: So ag ag hasn't slowed down here through uh, uh, COVID, you know, tractors and sprayers and even in some parts of the country still combines are, are, are out rolling. And when those things have mechanical issues, you guys are right there to help.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, you know, it just seems like planting just finished up, but, uh, uh, wheat harvest is certainly getting rolling in the, in the South and we'll be moving North. And right after that, the corn and soybean harvest is coming up and, uh, we're prepared. Uh, we've got the best selection of combine parts we've ever had. Um, Our online business has been outstanding during the COVID uh, and we're ready. Um, So we've got some uh, things that, you know, people should look at before they get ready to uh, run that combine in the field. Um, A lot of them are are starting with inspecting, um, you know, like on the grain table header, uh, take a look at your sickle blades and guards and the teeth and the augers and the reel Make sure all those are are good, they're not worn, they're not cracked. Um, That'll keep you from having to do an in-harvest repair, if you can get those things out of the way uh, before harvest really starts. Um, On the corn head, we recommend that you uh, take a look at your gathering chains, your sprockets, um, make sure those are all good, uh, greased, um, no breaks, no excessive wear. Um, and then adjust the width of the stripper plates, and uh, adjust the drive chains as they're needed. Uh, If you've got a row unit, uh, you you should remember that the gearboxes, they're kind of like mini transmissions, and they need to be checked once a year, either refill them with grease or oil, depending on uh, what your unit requires. Um, And then there's the normal wear type items, belts and chains. you know, take a look at all of those and replace those if they're worn or no longer able to get them set to the uh, correct tension. Um, a lot of issues can be resolved just by keeping your machine clean. Uh, so use some some compressed air to uh, blow off the dust and the dirt. Uh, it'll also help you find air, uh, wear and potential problems. You know, if it's not covered up with uh, with the chaff from the, the combine. Um, and then finally for your safety, um, when you're out on the road moving your machinery from uh, one location to another make sure all your lights and your flashers and reflectors are, are all working properly and and you have the ones that are, are required um, you know the, the, if, if the machine breaks down in the field, uh, it's not very likely that there's really going to be much injury factor uh, to the user, but uh, if a guy gets hurt on the highway, um, you know, there could be significant damage to the machine and potentially the operator, and we want to make sure everybody stays safe with their uh, lights and flashers and so forth. So that's just a few tips getting ready for harvest here, um, you know, we're excited to uh, see a Potentially a good harvest to get uh, this year, and uh, we sure wish prices would come up a little bit. But uh, we're ready for you, and we're here to help you out.
2: So you guys offer aftermarket, used, and remanufactured parts, all with an industry-leading one-year warranty on all those parts. And Terry, if folks want to know more about it, where can they go to find out? Well, you can check us out
0: online at TractorPartsASAP.com, or give us a call at eight seven seven five three zero. 4430. we've got over 60 uh, customer service reps uh, ready to take your call uh, and we have over 2,000 years worth of experience um, with those with that particular group so they can help you out and they'd be happy to, to do so
2: and we should also mention when things break on the farm it usually happens at the most inopportune time and, and folks need things fixed quickly and uh, w- with all the capabilities you have you can get those parts to them quickly
0: yeah if you put in your order uh, before 4 p.m either on the phone or on the website uh, 4 p.m central time uh, it will ship the same day Um, and then just depending on how far away you are uh, most parts will arrive within one or two days and if you should need it quicker than that uh, we certainly have the ability to expedite those
2: orders uh, with next day shipping. Well, make sure you get to tractorpartsasap.com, tractorpartsasap.com, or give them a call at 877-530-4430. And Terry, it's been a while, but uh, we're glad to uh, catch back up with you and uh, look forward to uh, talking with you here uh, shortly down the road.
0: Yeah, it's been great talking to you again, and we're uh, looking forward to it as well.
2: Again, that was Terry Burkhart with All States Ag Parts. Well, next up on June 4th, U.S. Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue joined SVG Ventures CEO John Hartnett for a fireside chat to discuss innovation in the agriculture industry and the shared responsibilities of the public and private sectors. We brought you the first part of excerpts from that conversation last week, and this week we bring you some more of that dialogue, starting with a discussion about public-private partnerships.
4: So, I mean, obviously, this is going to take a major public-private partnership you know, to unleash you know, global innovators, entrepreneurs, and, and major corporations to solve some of these challenges. And um, I know I'm, I'm delighted that we're able to be part of, 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 of supporting these goals, and you know, we're going to launch our Thrive Global Challenge um, really to focus on supporting these goals worldwide, and we're going to challenge every entrepreneur, every corporation uh, to come up with technologies that can help us achieve these goals in terms of doing more with less and, and also um, driving sustainability, uh, you know, across our, our, our supply chain. So um, we, we're, we're, in, we're, we're on the field, Secretary.
1: No doubt about it. And I think, again, uh, we do know while, while, you know, government-sponsored, university-sponsored research is really important. Uh, we know that many of these innovative ideas come from the private sector, there's a a great opportunity and a great incentive in the private sector uh, to design that. And I think the investment that you talked about is really encouraging from 2 billion to 19 billion. I think all over the world, we have, we know that we have labor challenges in agriculture, we've got to figure out how to do things with, uh, uh, with less less, we have an aging population of farm workers here in the United States. And I understand that's pretty typical across the world. So uh, uh, just fewer and fewer people want to do some of the hard, hard work of production agriculture, and we've got to figure out. So I expect that many of the uh, uh, The technology and the of robotics and other types of sensors and uh, other things will be part of the future of agriculture. We see regarding using optics and sensor technology that we know satellite technology now from predictability perspective uh, can be can give us quantum leaps in agricultural production
4: how do you think we can leverage is there anything more we should be doing in terms of how can we leverage public-private partnerships to develop innovation and, and being proving grounds or you know the the, the smart farmer the future or the technology accelerators what do you think we can do here to be able to you know prove out technology in in the field and and adopted across you know, the United States?
1: Yeah, here's my idea, John. I think again, uh, government has a role in maybe doing some things or sponsoring some things, funding some things that may not have a economic pathway initially, but it's that part of a basic and a right applied research prior to the commercialization there. I think that's the role USDA would like to play in the kind of what if discoveries out here that we need participating with bright, uh, curious people in the private sector, willing to answer those questions. What if we did it this way? What would happen here? And uh, we we believe public funding, uh, government funding has a responsibility to be involved in those kind of innovative things that may not have a proven concept yet. But things like you suggested with smart farms and uh, the G whiz kind of things of the future. That's yeah. how we discovered much of the technology in agriculture and other ways before. And you think about how rapidly, almost exponentially, this technology has grown across the world and, and just how recent the internet is compared to the history of mankind. Yeah. And uh, The discovery of the tools that we have at our disposal now regarding our search engines and all the, all the things we can have at our fingertips and in our pockets that we would have had rooms full of computers later on and it's only improving. We've got to harvest that kind of innovation into agriculture because as we've seen in the pandemic, food, you can do without a lot of things, but the world and humans cannot do without food.
4: Probably the the, the biggest thing, and I know you talk about this a lot, you're doing a tremendous amount of work in terms of rural connectivity and it tends to be the hot button and you know, what is it that we can do or, or what can private sector help with there in terms of bringing connectivity to rural environment? I, I, I listened to Beth Ford of Land of Lakes uh, several times. I mean, she brings this up uh, on an ongoing basis. And most, most recently, she did an interview with The Washington Post, uh, you know, talking about this is probably one of the most fundamental uh, key things that we need to bring um, you know, to the farms. Uh, How how can we help here? Is there something, you know, that can kind of ignite this? Because if we take the analogy of playing on the field, it's like having, you know, two arms behind your back if you don't have connectivity.
1: We've talked about all the advantages technology can uh, bring to the ag sector and the food production sector. But what is it dependent on? It's dependent on connectivity. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are really exacerbating a digital divide in the United States. And that's one of the things... That the pandemic has showed us, shown us, when schools had to close and, and stop congregating. How did those students get their education? And when we had to, uh, we couldn't go to the doctor. How do you get to the, How do you get access to a check-in, for whether it's uh, in the in the telehealth area? Uh, how do you get access to the global commerce of e-commerce there without connectivity? I fundamentally believe that it is one of the most transformative things we could do across the world. And interestingly, to our shame, many more undeveloped countries are ahead of the United States in this connectivity than we are. But we've got wide swaths of rural America, rural United States that are uh, unconnected now. And it is a definite disadvantage for the future of exactly what we're talking about. Hopefully the pandemic in our remote working environment showed us the importance of being connected. It is absolutely just as important as the electrification was in the 1930s, the telephony connection we did in the 1930s. This is no longer a luxury. It's no longer a nice to have. It's become a staple of the modern America, modern global economy to be connected with one another and that's how we learn from one another. That's how we do much of this research and innovation that we're talking about is going to be done collaboratively, uh, not on site necessarily, but through connectivity. And if we don't have that, anyone who does, is going to be at a severe disadvantage. Mm-hmm. USDA, we are, Congress has appropriated some money that we're doing in private partnerships through uh, uh, telephone cooperatives, uh, utility cooperatives, even... Uh, municipal uh, groups coming in. We're providing some of the funding and they're providing some of the funding in a partnership. But this is one of those things I was talking about. Government has to invest where it's not economically feasible. Initially, government has to come in and invest in those until it becomes economically viable for the private sector to assume.
2: Purdue then went on to answer some questions. The first being about research and development funding available for the private sector.
1: We have a lot of uh, research grants, obviously through our NIFA program, and uh, much of this most much of this goes to university research. But there are also funds out there for innovative uh, grants into the private sector, uh, with uh, proposals that are written uh, typically through that. Uh, the probably the biggest avenue is to go through university partners but we also do independent funding of research the USDA is a big huge transfer organization Uh, we don't we don't really deploy this money uh, all in the agricultural research service of USDA that's another outlet that I would encourage entrepreneurs to look at is to maybe look at an arm of the agricultural research service ARS in USDA and, uh, and join up with them with their ideas and get proof of concept in order to get funded in that way. We're looking for good ideas. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if an entrepreneur has the sweat equity and needs funds for laboratory or, or affirmative uh, experiments, those kind of things, that's where we'd like to participate.
2: The secretary also was asked about funding that might be available to farmers through sustainability or environmental protection programs
1: it is an important question. Obviously, farmers are very smart business people, and uh, they will do what's in their best economic interest. Uh, I'm a believer in the best uh, solution for sustainability is profitability. And if, if a carbon trading system is developed, I can assure you that farmers will figure out how to participate in that. We're talking every day about carbon capture within our soil, making our soils uh, that are arable, making them carbon sinks rather than carbon emitters using uh, techniques like uh, cover crops and, uh, and no-till types of things that can capture that and leave that, uh, that biologic material in the soil to, again, uh, amend the soil in a better way, hopefully to capture carbon. Obviously, we know the benefit of our trees and the administration uh, really is uh, pushing the tree and tree program but we can even do the same thing in our arable soils as well. I like what David Perry is doing uh, uh, in his research about that. And I know the, uh, I guess the, the, uh, the tr- is it a trillion ton type of uh, capture of soil, carbon? Uh, the good news is I think we're making progress there. But we, kn- we are doing some things now, we know how to do some things now that we're not fully implementing and how do we incentivize farmers to take those steps? I've asked our team just recently, should we be engaging already in the, in the development of a farm bill, the next farm bill in four years from now, that would help incentivize farmers with the best practices that could help us meet the scoreboard that we put out.
2: Finally, Hartnett described how the startup communities engaging with farmers to ensure the products and systems they create are usable and accessible to farmers.
4: I know that from our experience, Secretary, this is one of the things that we set out to do, you know, very early on is how can we bring the world of technology and agriculture together? You know, there was definitely concerns and, you know, I, I know certain farmers in California didn't like what was happening in Silicon Valley and probably vice versa, not understanding some of the challenges in the agriculture sector. And I think what we, we've we've started to do over the last seven years is, is bringing together you know, investors, startups, technology companies, as part of the ag tech forum with Forbes, you you attended that last year in California. I think venues like that get, you know, get get, get, um, entrepreneurs in front of farmers. And I think the more, you know, we work with uh, the grower organizations, um, you know, such as the Western Growers, you know, out here in California, and obviously like the likes of the National Pork Board, You know, we launched with the National Pork Board, the first ever swine innovation summit last year. And I think the more we can bring farmers into the same room and have the entrepreneur in front being able to say, hey, I've got something that will solve your problem. It's not snake oil. It's something that really works. I think that that, that's how we found it. You know, it, it was the best way to kind of do that. But it is the challenge of entrepreneurs is to be able to reach that reach the customer being the farmer.
1: I think again, uh, John, what you've helped to do and what we're trying to do is really assemble an index of uh, early adopters in the agricultural and food production space. Those who are courageous enough to try new ideas, uh, frankly, I find them to be the high performers. And we're assembling across the country uh, a group of these people and convening them uh, in that. I think that could be an avenue of allowing entrepreneurs here uh, let me just say again, uh, farmers are, are smart business people. They're like all of us. We all have a, a self-interest in the economy of what we're doing or we wouldn't be doing it in that way. Farmers can quickly identify and assess if this is gonna make their operation more productive, more efficient, more profitable. And I think if entrepreneurs have that on some of these non-proven concepts, that's where the role of government comes in and to sustain that and subsidize that to the point of proof of concept and then you're going to see the early adopters uh, 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 adopt that fairly quickly and then the the herd follows very quickly. They know who the leaders are and they Mm -hmm. will come along very quickly if that product or process or whatever is there that uh, is is better, more effective, more sustainable uh, for their operation. Farmers really are... They have to be many, many things today. They have to be scientists, uh, uh, technicians, engineers, mechanics, uh, uh, and uh, mathematicians, all of that. It's quite a broad array of attributes that make our best farmers. One of the things I'm excited about, I call the digitization of agriculture. The best farmers always have been a, have this algorithm on their shoulders here that they've been able to, uh, uh, to do the best analysis quickest analysis. Now with the digitization through sync sensor technology, optics technology, uh, we're going to be able to move that from analog here into digitization where more and more people can make the best decisions for productivity and profitability going forward. So communication is the key. We have a responsibility to bring together a set of early adopters who are willing and courageous enough to try new ideas. And we need to set forth, just as you're doing at the Forbes, the, uh, the amalgamation of communication there and get connectivity of people who are willing to try this in a proof of concept commercial uh, situation.
2: Well, this is an important topic. And on future episodes, we'll continue to unpack the issues surrounding agriculture innovation. So we hope you'll keep an eye out for that. Well, if you love traditional country music, you're going to love our next guest. Will Bannister, the country music singer-songwriter extraordinaire, is with us today. Will's out of Portales, New Mexico, and has gained worldwide acclaim for his music, which is inspired by the likes of George Jones, Merle Haggard, and Keith Whitley. He has a new album out called Everything Burns and a new single called Easy to Love, which you'll hear a little bit later on. Will, welcome in to Fast Line Fast Track.
5: Hey, thank you so much for having me.
2: Yes, sir. Well, first off, congratulations on the new album, which has received some critical acclaim from Country Music People magazine out there in the UK. They gave you a uh, five star rating and uh, named it their album of the month for March. Yeah,
5: that was a that was a great honor uh, for that to happen. Uh, Yeah, made my whole year there.
2: So how is this project different from the first three projects that you have out
5: uh, so this one I did. Uh, I recorded most of it out there in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went into the studio, um, Sound Emporium, and uh, we we cut rhythm tracks for starters. And I uh, got to use some players, and uh, and then some guys I've played with, you know, uh, on that on that record. So uh, and then you know sent a lot to overdubs. Uh, sent, sent it to a lot of other Nashville players to get some overdubs and everything had the Nashville guy mix it and so it's just been a lot different in that way and plus I've done a little, a little more co-writing than I ever have on mm-hmm. that album
2: I understand out of 11 tracks on that album you had a hand in at least 10 of them
5: that's, that's right yes sir one of them I didn't write it's probably my favorite on the album
2: uh-huh. who were some of the other uh, writers you worked with on it
5: I wrote with Roger Springer, uh, Wyatt McCubbin, and uh, Kent Maxson, Randy Fincham, Johnny Maul Harrier.
2: Man, some big names there. What was it like getting to work with some of those guys?
5: Uh, It was intimidating because, you know, (laughs) I went up there to Nashville, got to write with some of them guys, and just, and I had never done a whole lot of co writing, you know, so it's a whole different world for me. Uh huh and uh you know like you know them guys been out there doing that for years so it's just it's intimidating uh, but hopefully i'll learn from them and uh you know perfect the or try to perfect my craft as much as i can
2: and, and when you say that uh that, that music man a lot of a lot of fiddle and uh and steel
5: that's right yeah we uh, stuff. you know yeah I, I grew up listening to traditional stuff you know and uh and that's, yeah, that's what I love to do, and that's what I like.
2: So when did you first start playing and singing?
5: Well, uh, you know, I've been singing since I was a little old kid, but uh, when I was about 11, my mom got me a, an old Hondo guitar, and uh, I had a bunch of, I had an old CD, and it was uh, Hank Williams along with his guitar. Oh, yes. And so uh, I could hear his rhythm in there. And so I picked up them chords from that chord sheet and kind of learned how to play the rhythm, listening to those things. And uh, so I guess, you know, for the first several years, uh, I was playing at just local talent shows and stuff. And then when I turned 21, I started really trying to make it go with things.
2: Uh-huh. That was an interesting CD of Hank Williams because he, he had some outtakes on there and, and some of the mess ups and some of the uh, early, really rudimentary uh, recording stuff on there that was uh, a real history lesson.
5: Yeah, it's, it's, it's neat to listen to that. I'm a big Hank Williams fan.
2: Has country music always been a part of your life?
5: It has. Uh, ever since I was a little kid, like I was saying, uh, Daddy had a big collection of Hank Williams records and uh, he had Charlie Pride, Merle Haggard. Uh, Marty Robbins. I mean, we just drove around the pickup listening to that on tapes and everything. You know, George Strait, of course. Uh, Brooks and Dunn, Alan Jackson. Yeah, I mean, I just grew up constantly around it. My dad's a big music fan. His dad was. Even my mom is. Uh, you know, yeah, it's just, it's, I've just been around it all my life.
2: Uh-huh. So, when was the first time you really got out on a stage and, and sang in front of other people? And what was that experience like?
5: One of the first times I can remember is uh we had a i went to a little school uh, i had a class of maybe 15 uh, after floyd and uh i got out for a talent show in front of everybody and i did return to sender by elvis yeah uh, it was great i got made fun of a little bit because i didn't say my s real clear i returned to shinda you know <laughs> and uh but i wind up winning it and I uh want a box of candy or something you know so it was a lot of fun
2: so from there wh- when did you decide hey maybe uh, may- maybe i've got something here that we might be able to make something out of
5: uh well not too long after that after i got that guitar there's a I'm out there at floyd again there's like a uh, kind of a variety show uh, that they've been doing for uh i want to say 70 it would have been 70 years if it wouldn't have been shut down this year
2: uh-huh.
5: consecutive years you know uh, so I started doing that. It's called the Floyd country jamboree and, uh, you know, just a bunch of local artists, uh, went there and sang. And, and so I started doing that, uh, and that really stoked the fires. And then, uh, started going out to a recording studio out here in Clovis, New Mexico, uh, with Johnny Mulher, who used to work at the Norman Petty studio, uh, and did that stuff with Leanne Rimes, uh, out there. And, uh, he encouraged me to start writing. And so i did and then uh you know i started playing with him uh when i was 21 and uh and he he did those first three albums and, and this one hmm. here too
2: so was writing something that came easy for you from the get-go or was that something that really took some time to to find yourself
5: yeah you know i feel like uh it don't come as easy for me as i wish it, you know uh-huh. And then also, I go through little spurts where it seems like it comes kind of easier, you know. But I wish I could uh, just, and you know, I wish just sit down and and uh, whip out songs all the time, you know, good songs. But I, I, I come across a lot of duds. I, I mean, I write a lot of duds, and and uh, so well, I guess it's natural. But that's not the most. I'm not the most confident in my writing. I'll just put it that way.
2: Well, I can tell you if I can give you any encouragement, everything I've heard is is top notch, man. It's it's good stuff, and it's uh, it's what country music needs. Well, I
5: appreciate it. I sure did.
2: And with that, let's hear some Will Banister music. Here's the lead track off of the new album, Everything Burns. This is Ain't That the Truth? The
6: Chevrolet's got wheels. The East Kentucky's got hills. The has got jokes and the cowboy's got boots, Hey, that the truth? Every freight train needs a track, some stray dogs don't come back, the house always wins and losers just lose. Bar's got beer and I'm sitting here. This jukebox is full of old heartbroken tunes. You're long gone and I got the blues. Ain't that the truth? A drinker's gonna drink. A thinker's gonna think goodbyes ain't good and love ain't for fools ain't that the truth this bar's got beer and I'm sitting here this jukebox box is full of old heart you're alone and I got
2: Now I want to talk about the power of social media because you found a lot of success on YouTube and Facebook and really have used that to push traditional country music forward. You know, at a time when a lot of mainstream radio stations have moved on from that true country sound, you've gone upstream a bit and developed quite a following.
5: Yeah, you know, uh, all the social media things, Facebook particularly, uh, YouTube, I started putting them cover songs on there, just videos and stuff, and, uh, man, people have been so... uh, responsive to it and and, uh very encouraging you know Mm -hmm. and uh, and i've got a lot of work from those uh videos and everything too you know so so that was all good for me and now uh really starting to try to push the original stuff you know and uh, Mm -hmm. you know and i've just it's good that i've got uh, the type of following i do on, on social media and everything and i'm grateful for it for sure
2: so we talked earlier about your popularity in the U.K., and that's a special area of the world for you because you had some major chart success there early on in your career, and you got to play some big shows there as well. I
5: did, uh, that was a uh, great opportunity. I've got to go over there several times. Uh, yeah, the, the hot dish chart had my song at number one over there, uh, my very first song uh, off the, the very first album. It's called "Turned Around the Country. Uh, that was back in uh, 2010, I believe. And, uh, yeah, so it led to me getting to go over there to Wembley Arena, uh, participate at the, uh, or to play at the International Festival of Country Music. And uh, that was a great honor because, you know, Reba was there. She was the big headliner. And, uh, and yeah, I'll tell you what, that was a, the thrill of a lifetime for sure to get to do something mm-hmm. like that.
2: And I think people who are on this side of the pond and maybe don't realize, man, traditional country music is still huge over in the UK.
5: Yeah, I'll tell you, there's a there's a niche of people over there that uh, that still love it and uh, and really appreciate it, you know. Uh, so every time I've gone over there, I've encountered nothing but nice, nice people and very receptive people.
2: Mm-hmm. Aside from the UK, have you played in other parts of Europe?
5: I played a deal in France. I played the country rendezvous festival in France. Uh, Lepuy, Puy, I think is where that was. Cropon was the Cropon Le Puy. Uh, so yeah, I got to do that. Uh, I've played in Ireland and, uh, I guess that's about it.
2: And it's, uh, it's great to see because it's, uh, and there are a lot of, and I'll give a shout out to these guys, a lot of international journalists over there in Europe, uh, uh, music journalists that that really pay closer attention to what's going on in in u.s traditional country music than uh, most folks over here in the united states
5: yeah it's, it's pretty wild to go over there and uh, and just people reaching out on social media you know i'm in south africa
2: you know uh-huh.
5: uh, it, it's just crazy to for people way off over there be listening to country music like that you know so
2: now I want to share with you another cut from Will's new album, Everything Burns. This is Be Here Now.
6: Thank you for the print. Yeah, that was mighty kind I guess it ain't hard to tell There's a woman on my mind I didn't come here to talk But I guess I might as well I can't feel any worse And it just might help Like an old country song I did her wrong and she walked away Not a thing in this world I could have told that girl To make her want to stay And I'd go back And change the past If I could somehow If I was only She's turning out the lights And there's somebody else Who's gonna hold her close tonight So here I sit Another drink in my head. Oh, I wish I was there Oh, but here I am country song, I did her wrong, and she walked away. There's not a thing in this world I could have told that girl to make her want to stay. And I'd go back and change the past if I could somehow. I was only there for thee.
2: who checks out your music will see that one of the big staples is that fiddle and classic steel guitar sound how important is it to you to stay true to your roots and to really keep that front and center when that's not so much the norm these days on a lot of country radio
5: right yeah uh you know there again that's what i love and uh um i can't imagine making music without those instruments you know and uh you know everybody's different i know uh you know the guys uh, a lot of the guys doing it now, uh, you know, they work their, their butts off. And, uh, you know, it's just a little different style, you know, uh, than what I do. But also, you're kind of hearing some of that come back, seems to me, like, you know, you got John Party out there in Midland and, and stuff, and uh, mainstream-wise, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, you know, I'm going to stay true to it. I, I love it, you know.
2: So you dropped this new album right at the beginning of all this COVID craziness, and you really haven't had a chance to go out and tour to support it. So what have you been doing with all this time that you've had here during the lockdown?
5: Well, I've got a wife and four kids here at the house. And uh, so, you know, we've spent a lot of quality time together, uh, and I've enjoyed that, you know. Uh, I'm not used to sitting around this much, but, uh, you know, it has been good in that regard. Uh, we oh. did a lot of got a lot of house cleaning done i mean deep you know cleaning the shed out and <clears throat> all that kind of stuff you know but uh mostly just family time
2: so covid changed your plans a bit but what's in the future for you
5: well uh man i've uh <clears throat> kind of got a a new team around me uh, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm trying to uh uh get in the mix of that texas scene you know mm-hmm. for now you know i mean that's kind of uh the goal and and also uh, just to get out there and do my original stuff and that the texas market really uh allows for people to do that you know there's a lot of people out there that uh, love hearing new original stuff and and so that's uh, that's my main thing i want to get out there and start doing my my own music you know
2: so now you've got four albums under your belt uh what uh haven't you done yet that uh, you still want to do I'd love to sing on the Grand Ole Opry. Well, That'd be a I tell game. you what, that, that, that's one stage you belong on there. And uh, if any of our friends from the Ernest Tubb Record Chomp are listening, the, the uh, Ernest Tubb Midnight Jamboree, I think, would be another one.
5: That'd be great, for sure.
2: Well, before we get out of here this week, how about we hear one more from Will Bannister. This is his latest single of the new album, Everything Burns. This is Easy to Love. I ain't
6: exactly wrong. See that now But you've come too far Down this road of love And you can't turn around Oh, Girl I know I'm a little bit rough Around the edges So when I let you down Remember it's not my intent And them romance lines just don't come natural to me. And this love of mine ain't the kind that you see on TV. And if I said I'm glad I'm not that way, baby, I'd be lying. If I don't sweep you off of your feet, it ain't cause I'm not trying. That it feels so right Even though sometimes
2: The music of Will Bannister. I hope everyone out there has enjoyed our time with Will as much as I have. And if you want to keep up with everything going on with Will and his music and his tour dates, visit willbanister.com. That's B A N I S T E R.com. And also be sure to follow him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And Will, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fastline Fast Track.
5: Uh, and I, I've had a blast and I appreciate you asking me.
2: Well, we want to send a special shout out to our musical sponsor, The Ur- Tub Record Shop, 417 Broadway in the heart of downtown Nashville, Tennessee. The COVID had them down for a bit, but as of this week, they're now open for business. And I hope that when you're in the Nashville area, you'll go check them out. They have a great selection of vinyl, CDs, and merchandise. And if they don't have it there for you, they'll find it. And don't forget, if you're in agriculture, head on over to FastLine.com and check out our equipment locator with a price comparison tool featuring the Iron Average powered by Iron Solutions. That's FastLine.com. And while you're on the website, please be sure to sign up for the print catalog for your state or region. No need to head into town to pick one up off the convenience store rack. The FastLine catalog is being delivered directly to your mailbox and it's still a favorite resource of farmers and ranchers across our great country. Remember to subscribe to the Fast Line Fast Track podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. And add our Spotify playlist to your library for music from past, current, and upcoming guests of the show. Also, be sure to hit us up on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Until next time, it's Brent Adams saying, y'all come back. And bring along a friend. You've been listening to Fastline Fast Track, presented by Fastline Media Group. To learn more about Fastline's customer focused marketing solutions, visit fastlinemediagroup.com and check out our brand websites fastline.com, bigag.com, and pinktractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at brent.adams at fastline.com.